Wait, how is Yeetism here? Oh, oh well. Be fine. I don't know. Oh, okay. Hello, everyone. How are we all Hello. doing? How are your quarantines going? If you are in quarantine. <laughs> oh my. You should have expected. You should have expected someone to cough real loudly when you said that. Ugh. Well. It's not. It's not two p.m. So, uh, I mean, I think just before we get into anything too specifically, uh, I hope all of you are staying safe and, you know, at home if you can be and all that kind of stuff and no one's feeling sick or anything like that. Maybe. I woke up this morning feeling sick. Oof, that's not good, especially since you're a teacher, so. Yeah, doesn't go to school. Yeah, um. well, I mean, yeah. I, I, you, know what it, you know what I think it is? Uh, a lot of things like uh, I wake up this, mor this morning and I had a bit of a sore throat and I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to die. It's like, yep. um, it's, it's the, you, you're noticing it through like a hundred times more anything. Like one cough and you're like, just start digging my own grave. One cough, you go through the seven stages of death. Like yep. straight up denial and then you go through all the way through acceptance. Where it's like, yeah, I've got a cough, but like I still got to go to work. Still got to go to work. Yeah. Well, I hope as much as possible most of you guys are working from home by now. Um, I don't know. Yeah. There are probably still some Australians here because it's one o'clock uh, in the morning in Australia. But, uh, you know, uh, there are uh, sort of pretty big announcements that the Australian government just made. Apparently, they're shutting down yep. basically every business and uh, they're, they're really jacking up welfare. And how crazy was uh, the UK uh, with basically like a, a universal basic income? How, how uh, interesting yeah. is that? E, wow. did you watch the announcement? Uh, I did not. Uh, I watched the highlights. Oh, did you see the Andrew incident? Oh, that was so fucking funny. Okay, you need to find the Andrew incident with Scott Morrison. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. Okay, yeah, thank you. BC, oh, is that where yeah. you have one question? Yeah. yeah. ScoMo yeah. goes off at a reporter. He's like, you asked three questions. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> Let's be civil here. Let's be civil. Down pretty quickly. I mean, as much as I don't, I don't necessarily like the guy, I kind of feel bad for him in the, in the situation. It was a rough, rough old ride. Uh, but Raytheon has a, yeah. a really good point. Uh, everyone went, everyone went full on socialism. Yeah, I don't know, something along the lines of like everyone's, everyone's gangster until the, uh, you know, the pandemic hits, or everyone's, everyone's hardcore free market until, uh, you know. The four horsemen of the apocalypse come around. Did you kind of show how weak private insurance really is? I did make a good meme about that if you want. Normally, like insurers, they have reinsurances, no? Like I thought that like private insurances, they usually like reinsure themselves with like these other reinsurances. Yeah, that's true. Which one do we want? Do you want the Austrian or the left wing one? I mean, you can post either one. I just posted the right wing one. We'll 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 vote with our oh, we'll vote with our up up votes. Oh lordy, um, that's G's meme. It's pretty good. <laughs> God, uh, well if it's G's meme, then it's got to be good, right? Um, yes. Also, apparently, it's not all Italy's fault. It's all uh, Austria's fault. I'll be right back. Here, apparently, Slack is a more Italy in Italy in Tyrol. Um, so yes, I've just turned this into a giant meme chat. Now, 
Uh, of course, as much as it is fun to talk about uh, the, the, the virus that must not be NATO, I can say it on the YouTube live stream, it doesn't matter, the coronavirus and, uh, you know, the, the fallouts of that, and I do genuinely hope that all of you are being uh, safe and sensible and everything like that, because, you know, pretty, pretty wild times. Uh, I at least want to start with, I suppose, some of the topics in the video. Now, uh, it, Captain Locke posted them and then deleted them? What? Yeah, that was a really good guideline. I posted it too early. I wasn't uh, done hyping. Oh, okay. All right. Because, uh, you know, you oh, yeah. uh, were really on topic. So give me, give me uh, one more minute. Ooh. Uh, sorry, baked potato. Belgian reference. So we got a mod Captain Locke. No. <laughs> Captain Locke for mods. Uh, well, he plays EVE Online, so he's obviously, he's obviously a good man. Oh. Which reminds me that the lockdown is the, the greatest thing in the entire world. Because my girlfriend's had nothing to do. I've convinced her to play EVE Online. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. oh. That's all it takes. That's cute. No, that's, that's adorable. That's a black that's black magic right there. Ah uh, no, it's just just great. Just just fantastic. I, I'm so happy. But uh, I think uh, you know, hey look, I mean if this is if this is the fallout of it, you know, like obviously, uh, you know, uh, global emissions have dropped by 25%. People are embracing universal basic incomes. My girlfriend's playing EVE Online. You know, it's not so bad, really. Sure, a few of you may yeah, die. Have you got it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. No. Oh, man, I've got toilet paper for days. Don't worry about me. <laughs> All right, the topics are up. It's been the last weeks. All right, so I try to derail my own Q&A session. Uh, yeah, Captain Locke, uh, refer to the uh, topics within the video. Um, because that gives us a good guideline. If you have something that's a little bit off topic, I'm, I'm never ultimately opposed to that, of course. But uh, yeah, does anyone have any questions uh, specifically as it relates to anything that Captain Locke has so gracefully popped down there? Uh, well, did you touch on the, the current price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia? No, I uh, briefly touched on it. I didn't really go into as much detail as I probably should have, but I plan to do that when we do a video exclusively on Saudi Arabia. Um, and that's just one of those things okay. where it kind of like was, was tracking up, but I wanted to spend like a full, you know, five to six minutes actually sort of going over the, the specifics of it. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is going to turn into a half-hour to, to I think it's pretty interesting to look into to that, considering that it was pretty recent and... You know, if you were to invest in Saudi Aramco, how, you know, how stable would it be despite the current price war? That's just a thought. Yeah, well, that's an unfortunate thing. Imagine that. Look, I mean, the, the public offering of Saudi Aramco was in December, early December 2019. Uh, and obviously it was a huge right. deal in the financial world. And uh, a lot of people bought into it, especially in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and now they've got this price war between them and, the, and Russia. You know, two major oil producing states that you know, used to work pretty cooperatively together. Uh, on top of the, mm. the coronavirus and a massive fall in demand for fossil fuels around the world. Uh, talk about a, a one-two punch. I mean, it's it's pretty rough. Uh, and the company's sort of only about three months into uh, public operations. So, yeah. Sure, glad I didn't invest. But, uh, but look, I mean, obviously, it's sort of different uh, short-term to long-term and... Um, I'm always a massive proponent of, of never invest for the short term. Uh, I had a friend today that called me up and he's like, oh, you know, economics explain, you're so, so fantastic at, uh, you know, finance and stuff. And I was like, oh, 
calm down, I know. Um, and then he was sort of asking about, it's like, oh, well, look, I'm thinking of buying oil and uh, Netflix and all of this, that and everything else. And he's like, he had the rationale. It's like, oh, well, look, you know, Netflix is going gonna, is gonna to boost because everyone's stuck at home and they've got to stream stuff. Oil's really low right now and surely it will recover. This, that and everything else. And that's just, yeah. <laughs> that's just absolutely like I, I sat down and I educated him on, on things where he'd been priced into the market and factors that are sort of unforeseen and all of these sort of uh, bits and pieces. And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, but I mean, ultimately that's the kind of decision making that does drive uh, a lot of the market. So, you know, uh, there are silly billies out there. Call that there's pure always, speculation. There's always this argument of the noise versus uh, like long term. Like what we see now in the market is a lot of noise. I've seen a lot of stocks go down, and I saw Netflix go down massively on Friday because oil was going down. While I was pretty sure that Netflix mostly has tech and health, biotech. I'm wondering, like, do they really, like, is, is there really like a lot of negative for tech? And biotech with oil prices going down, I'd say no, quite. It's very rational. Yeah, well, look, they don't they don't, they don't necessarily have to be aligned. There are um, obviously you know companies uh, that do sort of rely on on the price of oil um, as a relatively sort of strong indicator of their success. You know, oil companies and, and things of that nature, of course. Um, but um, obviously, there are sort of more than one in. You know, there's a lot. There's more than one thing influencing markets in the world right now. Um, the price wars certainly would be a big deal in and of itself if it wasn't obviously eclipsed by the fact that businesses around the world are kind of just shutting down. Yeah. Oh, um, also, um, regarding the sovereign, um, in the previous video you mentioned the moral. Uh, forgot about it. Basically, uh, the idea that when companies get bailed out, they tend to be prepared for the worst. Yep, yep, uh, yeah. Yeah. Moral hazard. Yeah, moral hazard. So, um, right now, the way I understood it, in the bailout that's going to come up, there's going to be a lot of strings attached. Like, there is, first of all, the string attached that there might be no dividends. And on top of that, there's gonna, there might be another string attached that the governments might see a lot of these uh, bailout basic investments as an investment to a distressed company, which they might ask quite a large stake of the company. Um, is it something that might have a huge effect on the international trade? Might it also have a huge effect what investors uh, might see as, as a good um, as good investment? As this means there's actually also quite a de facto dilution of their stock. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, um businesses have got to do what they think is right by their investors. Yeah? And that that's basically their, their core function is to reply, you know, supply returns to, to shareholders. Um, now, obviously, a lot of people kind of get um, sort of deer in the headlights in the short term. You know, they're very obsessed with, okay, what's my returns this year? And, you know, they open up their Robinhood account and they look at that big green percentage sign and they see what they can get. And an easy way to achieve that is, of course, through stock buybacks, which meant that their um, share price was risen and which means that, you know, CEO's got nice big bonuses. So everyone's sort of um, uh, goals, you know, everyone's sort of targets were aligned with short-term growth at any cost. Now, 
to get that, obviously, you put to the side the idea of saving up money or having any kind of a, you know emergency fund. You you potentially leverage up the business to to expand quicker than you normally would, and and that sort of puts you in a really uneasy situation where something like this happens, where obviously you kind of need to lean back onto a cash supply to you know keep people employed or keep the business functioning. Now, investors have kind of made that decision. Effectively, uh, in a way, they have voted for companies that will do that. You know, by investing in companies that you know, hey, let's be honest, deliver really good short-term returns, uh, they have ultimately voted to, you know, make sure that that's the kind of business that gets run. And, you know, realistically, um, they should be punished because their effective decision-making process is exactly the same as that of the, the CEO. Um, you know, a lot of blame gets put onto these sort of senior executives and yeah, they probably should know better. Um, but, you know, if that is something that you as an investor are afraid of, you know that companies like this were running, you know, a lot of debt, not saving a lot of money, uh, buying back shares that to, to return money to investors. And, and you knew that probably wasn't sustainable, but you still invested it anyway because you're like, oh, hell yeah, my returns this year are going to be 15%. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily unfair that investors uh, kind of get slammed with the fact that, yeah, you know what, your shares are now worth, you know, one half of what they were originally worth because the government's had to come in and, and bail you out and suddenly the, the state owns half of this company. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, obviously it sucks for people like, you know, pension, you know, people with money in pension funds and stuff like that. Um, but again, you know, hey, maybe it's the impetus that makes uh, pension fund managers be a little bit more careful with the companies that they invest in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, been, they, been, they said that last time in 2008. Yeah, I know. Look, look I have... Pension funds are usually more... Yes, they... they it's not as investing was investing... They usually are a little bit more conservative, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's still at the end of the day, it's investment. It's trading risk for return. If, if anything, the recent events are going to start uh, encouraging people to, to get modeling uh, Great Depression tests. Like, they're going to start modeling for you know how well the company can do in an event that is just so unpredicted, that is so catastrophic, where. Even though there's a small chance of it occurring, if it occurs, then... Yeah, but the thing with that is, um, it, it kind of can make you a bit uncompetitive. So let's say you're like an investment bank, yeah. which is kind of the companies that are most exposed directly to these kinds of, of, of happenings, let's say. Um, because their business is literally being directly exposed to the, the turmoils of the world. Um, now, if you took that and you ran your business on the model that, yep, we can survive 1929, uh, you know you are not going to be as competitive or deliver as good returns or provide the sort of, um, you know, growth that a company that is modeling it on, let's say a 2008 kind of crisis or, yeah. and they're not going to return things that are good that are just kind of YOLO it uh, and, and run, you know, really, really tight budgets uh, up until, you know, the point where it all kind of collapses. So it might be that, hey, you know, realistically, those kinds of companies that are being as conservative as that will just fall to the wayside and just get priced out of the business. They'll go bankrupt before a market event like that actually happens and um, pushes everything else out of it. Unfortunately, it's one of those classic sayings, the market can stay irrational longer than anyone else can stay solvent. Yeah. But uh, speaking of irrationality, and, and look, um, we'll loop it back to um, the... Uh, we'll loop it back to Saudi Aramco, hopefully ho later in this conversation, and I am sort of on a tighter time frame because it is late here and I still actually have to work from home. Um, but that kind of guides me perfectly into why I want to hear you guys' opinion on this. 
Uh, at the moment in, in Australia, and, and it seems like very similar news around the world um, with things like uh, guarantees of workers' incomes and things of like that nature in like the UK, uh, slightly in America that they've been talking about it, but uh, specifically in, in Australia it was announced today um, that our job seekers allowance, so basically our allowance for people that are um, looking for, for jobs, you know, our welfare system for unemployment, uh, has been doubled. Mm -hmm. Uh, doubled on top of sort of some pretty generous uh, add-ons that you get on top of the base allowance to the point where there are a lot of people that are working in crucial industries. So things like... Um, healthcare? Uh, yeah, well, not necessarily healthcare. They tend to get paid just a little bit better where it, it, it's worth their while. Um, but grocery stores, you know, a lot of casuals that work in grocery stores um, have this really tough decision to make. You know, most casuals that work in grocery stores maybe work two or three nights a, a week. And, you know, look, obviously in current events, with demand and everything to keep those sort of stores running, maybe they're working slightly more, but... What about agriculture? Yeah, okay, things like agriculture. But I want to focus just on grocery stores at the moment because they're the ones that sort of are at the front face of, you know, they've been heavily hit and kind of running, uh, running ragged. Now, um, there is every possibility that with the doubling of this job seekers allowance, this, this you know, unemployment welfare, that it is actually going to put more money in someone's pocket to leave their job as a um as a, an employee of a supermarket chain especially if they're casual or part-time because they're going to earn more money for literally doing nothing now the benefit of this is of course it keeps the economy afloat during a really sort of rough time where a lot of people are being made unemployed through no fault of their own uh, but it also potentially encourages people like that like, you know, if I was a, a grocery store employee right now, I was working three nights a week, you know, maybe earning 400 bucks a week, four or 500 bucks a week, I'd be like, peace the fuck out. I am leaving. I am not staying here with people going crazy over toilet paper, being exposed to the general public. I'm just going to go home, sit on my couch, play Animal Crossing and, uh, you know, earn 550 bucks a week. Why? I'd be so stupid not to do that. So what do you guys think about that? Well, if you don't get unemployment benefits, you either or if they are um, fired for gross negligence. Uh, you absolutely do. Or Animal Crossing eventually. No, you... you... So... Game, never played it yeah, you, you get so unemployment think... for, for, for any reason. As, you know, as long as you're unemployed and you're actively seeking a job, and hey, look, it's going to be really easy to actively seek a job and not find anything these days because nobody's hiring. Um, yeah, you, you get unemployment. What about... What about coming um, I thought that the announcement included um, additional increases for casual and part-time employees as well. I believe uh, there's some not. support. Now, uh, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure of the specifics, so um, this is more of a, like a hypothetical. Um, but what, what are your thoughts? On, like, okay. let's, say, let's say there are other details that I might be missing, and, and apologies if I am. But what are your thoughts on, on that, where um, uh, you know, social welfare is actually sort of more or equally financially beneficial as is actually just sort of working a, 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 a lower-end job? That's, it's scary uh, because it's going to just halt actual productive labor. Where I, it, I don't believe so. In the I, I know, I know, but it's just there is... You know, I, I do fear that, like, I, you know, we're going to have people who are in, in, in jobs like services, service industries, um, that need to stay open during it's this time. Pay for it. 
that well it, i don't care who's going to pay for it it's the government's going to pay for it the stimulus is going to pay for it and ultimately future taxpayers are going to pay for it but it's yeah, the yeah. moment in the moment nobody cares about this in this moment who has to pay for it because we can always throw that off to the future generations which is a great great idea just i'm just ripping the sarcasm but, right but now is, by great idea. Depth, but um, is more depth good though but it, it's that, that that's beside the point we can move back to that but the you know in, in the context of you know is this might this have a, a negative impact on the media economy with uh, basically people want to stay at home because they know they can collect unemployment benefits that are going to be uh, as or just as good as uh, working. Like, say, rather than going to the grocery store and working, uh, getting paid $10, you can just sit at home and get paid, uh, you know, $7.90 or $8, you know, per hour. Uh, and you'll save money on gas and all. You save money on gas, you save money on your labor, you should save, and you just can sit at home and, and like you said, play Animal Crossing and, and you know, pretend Base. to look for a job, right? And, of course, this isn't only temporary, but it's in that temporary time period where where people are, you know, not, uh, you know, uh, working in, in these services that are desperately needed, that this could contribute to an even uh, further recession. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I would ahead, suggest uh, the smartest. Hmm? Sorry, why don't I you think so, Overwatcher? Oh, that so that's me. oh, uh, she. Sorry, sorry, sorry. She. Yeah. So, so uh, firstly, it assumes that uh, people will make that uh, idea that you know just because they can earn more money on the doll that they'll stop working. I don't think um, most people typically see it like that. Most people do get some. Uh, enjoyment out of their work even if it is uh, tiresome and laborsome uh, and also I don't believe the current uh, situation is that this is a permanent increase in the um, welfare recipients it's only meant to be a six month to eight month program obviously yeah, notwithstanding uh, developments gonna take it away. Yeah, it's, um, yeah I mean it's not permanent so it never so, stops well, well, if they if they do have a plan to reduce it over time and they make that knowledge and you know public information, then that would obviously curb the long term effects of this becoming a more systemic issue. Also, I believe what politicians that would want if, to take away people's money. Does well, I believe if you well, then took that money and then redistribute, so if you as a politician took that money away and redistributed to education, obviously. Um, that gives a society an increase in their production over time that, you know, uh, es essentially uh, takes away the short-term losses. There's also a stigma against... Well, one of the things I didn't touch on... I do have a question. Yeah, uh, someone had a question. Someone had a question, but then we'll... Yes, um, the question is this unemployment, um, top, the topic on unemployment you're talking about, is it because of quarantine or real um, recession type of losing jobs situation? Well, it's actually mostly because of, at the moment, mostly because of um, sort of a, basically a supply shock. Um, businesses have been forced to close down. So I have a friend, for example, who's still at university and he gets his way through by being a waiter. Uh, and he sort of rang me up today and he's like, yeah, I'm generally unemployed. I don't have a job. Uh, he was casual, so, um, you know, it was one of those things that it's not like he gets paid out any sort of service leave or anything like that. It's just, thanks, but 
bye, we don't actually need you anymore because we can't operate. Um, now, that is what's sort of causing a lot of unemployment in the very, very short term. You know, pubs, clubs, restaurants, movie theatres, casinos, all of those have been ordered to shut down here in Australia. I'd imagine very similar measures have been taking all through Europe. And, and I'm sure in the immediate future we'll see it happening in America as well, that these businesses are just being told that they cannot operate. And that means that any kind of employees that they have either get laid off um, or if they're casual, it's just, you know, bye, uh, which is you know, causing a lot of unemployment. Now, obviously, in those sort of situations, it's a no-brainer. You, you go on to unemployment, and that's that's what it's there for. It's to support people that are sort of down on their luck. But um, what I'm saying is, is um, a lot of people are going to see it because they've really generously raised it to, to cushion the blow for a lot of these people. Uh, a lot of people just sort of see it as, like, why would I work in a, a Coles or a Woolworths, which is like our, our supermarkets here in Australia, um, where I'm dealing with, you know, hundreds of people that are coming into the store, potentially infected, potentially going to pass that sort of illness along to me, um, where, you know, the environment's really bad because people are going crazy, you know, fighting over toilet paper and all that kind of stuff, when I could just go sit on my couch and, um, you know, earn just as much, if not more money for putting in much, much less effort and I'll stay safe at home. Um, it's a really, it should be sort of genuinely a no-brainer. Now, there's two other things that I want to take on with this kind of question. The first is that um, a lot of this is actually a supply side issue. It's not necessarily a demand side issue just yet. People still, you know, have the demand to go out and buy stuff and, you know, people aren't necessarily too worried to the point where they're sort of holding onto their money just yet. Uh, but a lot of it is that people can't, you know, even if they did have the, um, you know, the, the desire to go out and spend money, they can't because businesses are closed. So um, will this sort of uh, very generous welfare that encourages people to potentially leave their job hurt the supply side issue even more? What would you guys' thoughts be on that? Mm, I think, uh, I think uh, it will uh, mostly hurt the non-essential businesses like, you know, uh, like... like the, I, I guess, could... Like the cinema could, industry... Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like there's gonna be a further supply shock if we don't. If it's not implemented correctly. Here, it's not here, in, here in my country, in Malaysia, right now, the gig economy, especially, is affected. Like Grab, um, and also like Grab Eats, Food Panda, and all those. Just yeah, like the, Uber Eats and all those stuff. stuff. The, the gig, the gig economy is definitely but, going to be in uh, very high demand. Matter of fact. I wouldn't be surprised if if companies if uh, if like you know hey. companies like Grab are going to like get pay double the pay for you know just looking for people willing to work. Um, yeah. So yeah. one of my ideas I, I would really like to see is if the government uh, uh, rather than so they can do the uh, unemployment benefits and increase those, but they should also you know kind of pay for additional salaries for people who are staying and working in like vital service yeah especially in high-risk roles and yeah yep ones that are going to be expecting in fact and i cut out like i left for a second and then came back in so i don't wasn't sure if you just mentioned that but yeah no no uh, that that you're right uh, we haven't sort of touched on that yet no yeah i would, um, I would really love to see that by my local grocer you know gets a boost in salary paid for by uh, the government um, just so that they can, you know, get through this, right? Then there's the issue of, well, once it's all stemmed over, you know, they have that higher salary. Like, they're not going to be very happy, you know, having the lower salary. 
Yeah, um, might, maybe it'll be oh, a bit of a shock just a little bit further down the road when they sort of get backed onto yeah. their, their usual salary. Or, hey, maybe it becomes the um, the new standard who really can tell. Or rather than, like, just immediately cut it, they should uh, lower it over time. So Yeah. yeah. Or, or I, I don't know. Uh, another, I uh, think... another industry that might be affected will be construction. Can I ask a question kind of related to the video? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So we, we can circle back to this. Uh, I, I have a feeling the, the, co the topic's going to circle and weave, and, uh, and I don't really want to steer it too much. But yes, if you have a, a video-related uh, question, go ahead. Uh, why do different countries have different like trust levels? Like, why would the people trust X country over Y country more than uh, well, I mean, there are different risks. Yeah, I mean, that is one of those things that's like, uh, why are strawberries red? Um, I mean, look, I mean, you can get really granular about it, but it's just that they are. I mean, look, think of it like this, obviously. Uh, a lot of it has to do with history, a lot of it has to do with age, and a lot of it has to do with checks and balances that are in place. So in the video, I talked about sovereign risk um, as it applies to Saudi Arabia, and I used the example of, let's say, the United States. Now, the United States has a very, very robust history of respecting, you know, people's rights to property, businesses' rights to function, and it has this constitution that it's held like sacrosanct. It's, it's like almost like this godly text. Uh, and they sort of run their, their company as a, as, a, as a sorry, country as it uh, abides by, by this constitution. Now, Saudi Arabia as a nation is a lot newer, and there's a lot less checks and balances on the ruling party. We're, we're not really a ruling party, a ruling family. Uh, that effectively they are sort of almost dictators in a sense. Uh, they're not very sort of, um, they're not ultra like uh, yeah, necessarily authoritarian, so I'm trying to be careful about how I say it, um, but they are very, yeah. what they say goes. Um, so they have a lot of control there. Um, so they could hypothetically turn around and just sort of say, yep, yeah, you know, this company here, we're just nationalizing it all over again. And there wouldn't be anything that many people could do about it. Uh, and, you know, look, in the same sort of sense, like I'll, I'll ask you, um, because there's sort of things that sort of seems to be so um, logical that it sort of is almost hard to explain. Uh, would you invest in a company that operates in America? A company like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, uh, Tesla. Would you have any problems investing in an American company? As long as the credentials Depend look good. Depends on the time. Basically because of the concept of time value of money. If ah, you, uh, you're, getting, well, invest... you're getting way too complicated there. <laughs> Stop being too smart. Yeah. Um, just look, yeah, if, no, no. Everyth <laughs> if everything else looked perfect, it looked like a really solid investment, would, would the fact that it's in America be like, ah, nah, I'm not investing in something that's in the United States? Would that be a, a, a something that breaks the deal? No, it wouldn't. Yeah, okay, cool. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you for giving me the answer that I wanted. Uh, and I appreciate you trying to get too complicated, but my goodness. All right. Now, let's say there was a company that looked really, really fantastic, uh, but it was in North Korea. Would you invest in it? You. Yeah, exactly. Well, no. Yeah, why not? No, why would, why wouldn't you invest in it? I don't care how prospective it is. It's in North Korea. And, yeah. and like, I'm not going to get my money back. It's going to go there, and it's never going to come back. Yeah, exactly, right? Because, you know, yeah, North Korea has a reputation of being a really shitty, despotic economy that, that can't sort of do anything, and it's just going to scam it. And it, it doesn't have a reputation as being a good, reliable 
country, a good, reliable nation with a history of fostering business development. Um, and that is sort of one of those things where, yeah, there genuinely are countries that are just considered riskier than other countries, whether that's rightfully earned or not. Uh, it's the reputation, and it is still something that you have to consider. You have to make yeah, sure that, problem. yeah, you have to make sure that you you can trust the not only the company and its management to to deliver good res results for you, but you can also trust the the country that that business operates under that they're not going to just steal all your money away. Got it. Which is why political stability is a very important aspect. The policy. Legal stability, trust, history, there's all these things go into... Uh, One might say more. stability and confidence. Yeah, yeah. business uh, or people's uh, perception of, of countries and you know, their risk of, do risk of doing business with them. Cool. Um, Abhay Ab over on the um, YouTube live stream asked a question a little while ago, so I really want to get to his. Um, and it's a really good question. Uh, so the Tadawal, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, Tadawal, Tadawal, uh, I looked up videos on how to pronounce it, and it tends to be like that, but it's probably lost between my, my bogan accent and my terrible pronunciation. So um, if I have butchered it and anyone knows better, I'm so sorry. But uh, he said, uh, will the Tadawal market get boosted because of Aramco? Is Tadawal trying to become like a Singapore with all this hype and marketing? It's a really good question, and uh, in a sense, uh, yes and no. Now, a lot of Middle Eastern countries, like every country in the world wants to be like Singapore. You always hear it say, oh, we're going to turn our city into a Singapore for XYZ. It's like the business equivalent of turning your city into the Uber of, you know? Uh, it's sort of like this big wanky phrase that uh, countries throw around to, to sort of plot out their vision for their future. We're going to be the, the Singapore of, the, of uh, you know, the Middle East, the Singapore of Europe, the Singapore of North America, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, now, I'd say in terms of what's going to be the Singapore of the Middle East, it's going to be Dubai before it's anywhere in Saudi Arabia just because it's a little bit more open people are a little bit happy to do business with it and uh, it tends to be a little bit more benign in terms of a country that people have a bit of faith in um, now that being said certainly the reason they listed Saudi Aramco on a regional exchange like the Tatawal is because it is their national um, it's their national stock exchange so it's kind of a bit of a, a back and forth you know hey we're going to put our big national company on our big national stock exchange, and hopefully that brings more people into uh, into this market. Absolutely. There would be no way that they would list it on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or something like that, because even though it would be a better market for them to list it on, uh, it's a bit of national pride, and also it's a bit of a back and forth. You know, They, they want to support their own sort of local industries, and yeah, and, and certainly trading volumes will increase by that, because a lot of people... You know, invested into shares for the first time in Saudi Arabia because of this public uh, public company, this this initial public offering. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's kind of. I don't know if it was necessarily a plan, like a grand vision to become a Singapore, uh, but certainly it was it was the hope that you know it would feed back and and kind of help the market and potentially some of the other businesses that are also listed on that exchange. So really good question. I like I, I quite like that one. I would also add to that that there's also one stock market. I think that if you want to go on one of the NYS. Your own next um, topic is probably have to introduce twenty. Can you call it a free float when the stocks are on the stock market? Yeah, you might be. You might be right. I, I don't actually. I don't actually know how much you have to float. Um, but there are sort of rules and limitations. So, uh, the ASX, it's it's like that as well. 
Um, so obviously that that was potentially a limitation than the fact that they only released five percent. Um, but yeah, of course, I think look, a two trillion dollar company may have been able to organ. You know, it has a bit of negotiating power with the New York Stock Exchange. So um, potentially, um, yeah, with five percent, you wouldn't be able. Yeah, I look. I think it's probably one of those things that they, if if. If Saudi Aramco came to the New York Stock Exchange and say, hey, we want to list our company on your exchange, uh, we're only doing 5% though, they'd probably make a deal. I reckon they'd make that work, to be honest, because again, you know, it's the biggest company in the world. Um, you know, the New York Stock Exchange, and this is something that people have to realize, uh, is a company. It's a company just the same as, uh, you know, American Express or Merrill Lynch or um goldman sachs it's a financial institution it's not a public um it's not a public institution it's not run by the government or anything like that you can buy shares in the new york stock exchange uh and two guesses where uh, the new york stock exchange is listed ha. Hmm, right. nasdaq. nasdaq yeah totally, yeah. totally nasdaq yeah you got it yep so you nailed oh. it a plus right there all yeah. right take Wait, everything i said and make it the opposite also on, on the french stock market Sorry? And at, uh, Euronext, I mean, the NYSE, they're together with Euronext. Euronext is on the Paris stock exchange that they own themselves. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, look, I mean, running a stock market is, is just like running any other business. It's like running a supermarket, but uh, instead of peaches and pears, you're, you're selling, you know, uh, securities and shares. Oh, look at that. Look at that poetry, guys. I literally just came up with that on the spot. Yep. <laughs> anyway. All right, that was awful. I'm sorry. Cool. Uh, so, uh, slightly, Shahid Khan asked for a beginner: where and how would I start investing? Uh, good question. Again, don't take any advice from people on the internet. That's the best advice that I can give you as a person on the internet. Uh, outside of that, all I can recommend is you do similar, something similar to what I do. Um, Reddit personal finance is a really great place to start. Build up a. a, a an emergency fund make sure you've got at least three to six months worth of your living expenses saved as cash in a bank account and then beyond that buy vanguard exchange traded funds yep nicely diversified low fees it's uh it's not glamorous you're not gonna you know be able to role play as bobby axelrod or a gordon gecko but um it's nice secure it's basically like a glorified bank account and uh, you'll, you'll see good returns over time what if you live in a developing country? How would you approach investing? Where it's like inflation is higher than interest. Yeah, well, I mean, that tends to be the case for most of the world uh, today. Interest rates are all at historic lows and realistically, you're probably going to get uh, interest that's less than inflation, unfortunately. Now, um, sometimes for the, 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 I suppose, the uh, pleasure of having cash uh, around, you just need to suck it up and it's good to have it um, but you know uh, again it's an emergency fund it's not something that they're cash savings not something that's there to, to make you a lot of money it's just there to be a security buffer uh, if you can get access to you know international markets through exchange traded funds and things like that um, that gives you exposure to any country you want so for example a majority of my portfolio is directly exposed to uh, the American share market so Yeah, so I mean, I would, I would say ironically, mine is directly exposed to Australian. So really, no, 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 really. Oh, I, I was going to say, what the hell? All right, <laughs> I mean, no, I, cool. I, really, I just really wanted to make the joke. Just ask, hey, you want to swap? 
uh, a hole. Where uh, are where are you from? That because I might be able to answer about investing in uh, in international. It depends on where you are. Invest in Belgium. You live in where? Egypt. In Egypt. Okay. Yep. So every country tends to have its own stock market. Uh, you know, somebody is operating a stock market somewhere. Unless you're in North um, Korea. Unless you're North Korea. Um, and in that case, uh, you can find information about your local stock market and, and what is what kind of uh, investments are made available through that market. Um, usually, companies are, are countries are uh, keen on adopting policies that uh, force uh, companies to make public their information if they are to be traded on a in a public uh, setting. So in that case, uh, so there somebody posted in uh, she posted the Egyptian uh, exchange, um, and that will show your your stocks, financial security data. What the key kind of information you want to find is uh, information about the company itself, what it does, uh, what they, um, you know where their assets are located, where their sources of revenue come from. Those are your key starting points. And I've already overloaded you with information, so I'm now going to stop. Yeah, I, I tend to avoid uh, actually sort of looking specifically into shares, and that's why I like indexes, because I don't have to do research. I'm just exposed to the market in total. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, look, if you want to get a little bit more technical and, and you find that sort of stuff interesting, go right ahead. You know, uh, my, my job is to look at financial stuff all day, every day, so when I get home, I, the last thing I want to do, I just want to sort of a no-brainer sort of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a very interesting question. I, I like that. And I'm always sort of, uh, I think your best place to start is, is really read a lot. And I, I actually quite like um, the, the personal finance subreddits that are out there if you are a Reddit user. They're, they're, they're quite helpful and they're full of people that you know have a, have a fair bit of insight. Um, okay, so Abhe uh, made a really good point as well. Uh, guaranteed dividend payments sounds like a recipe for disaster, especially under current circumstances. Would you consider it suicide since renewables are becoming an exponent, uh, growing at an exponential rate? Yeah, so really a lot of stuff to unpack there. Now, the big one, of course, is that Saudi Aramco has a guaranteed dividend. Um, so at the valuation that they were at, at their IPO, which was about 1.8 trillion US dollars, they guaranteed a 4.4% dividend return year on year. Uh, and that was, it's pretty big for most companies don't deliver anywhere close to that. Standard dividends, if they're paid, are yeah, normally around 1% to 2%. Um, and that's pretty, you know, that's pretty much the usual. So a 4.4% is, is incredibly high. Um, now, they obviously made that promise um, for two, a few reasons. One, obviously, they wanted to make their uh, investment attractive. They wanted to make sure that they were able to bring in people. The other thing they wanted to do was for the first few years, they wanted to make sure if people were getting loans, let's say you're getting a loan at 4% um, interest to, to buy these shares, that the dividends would pay for the interest on the loan um, so that you were effectively neutral and um, you, know, you could really lever yourself up. Now, the other thing is, uh, of course, they were a company that was already operating at huge profits, so they had the ability to pay good dividends for people. Now, the disadvantages of that are what we've seen here, where effectively, you know, look, stock uh, oil prices have plummeted 
the the revenue source for a company like this has has gone along with it, uh, and now they have to pay out dividends on money that they may not even be making because it is has been guaranteed. Now they can either go back on their promise and say, uh, actually, yeah, lol jokes, we lied, uh, and they probably have the ability to get away with that because they are still a semi-government institution, but it would make them look really really bad, and it would probably also tank the price of the shares even more. Um, or you know they can just suck it up and actually pay this dividend, which would effectively make them lose money. Um, so they're really in a sort of a really rough place, but it's not something they could have necessarily predicted. Uh, it's not something that they could have sort of foreseen that this price war would come up, that this you know virus thing would take off and sort of wreak the havoc that it has been wreaking. Additionally, they can postpone dividends as well. Although that comes with its own legal hurdles. Yeah. Um, and I, I have no idea, like how that even would go play out in in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, but with, I mean, the dividends themselves are likely to be. So I don't know the the, the actual uh, you know uh, term sheet that was that was given away. So wait, are these for bonds or are these for the shares? These are the actual shares, which makes shares, it weird, right? Yeah. Which is that's fascinating to have a a fixed income attachment to a share like. That is uh, that is that is weird. So in order for that, they likely have a cash pool already set up uh, that will likely be able to uh, finance the dividends for a certain amount of time. And then the idea is that well, in bad times, the, the pool of cash can finance the dividends. And in the good times, we can once we've paid off the dividends, any excess can go into the the cash pool just to you know buffer it. Uh, so in that in that so. There actually are people who want to, uh, you know, go and buy these shares. Probably look into those things. Uh, you know, like where's their source of dividends coming from? Where's the exact terms? And also, what's the likelihood of them just going back on their promise and, and canceling dividends? Yeah, and it's all the types of risks that you really have to, uh, yeah, you really have to consider. It's uh, at the end of the day, it's investing, and you've got to know what uh, what you're investing in and really, really understand it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, still uh, very, very, very good question. Cool. All right. So um, before we, I suppose, sort of uh, for the next, let's say, 10 minutes or so before I go to sleep, does anyone have any questions on Aramco or does everyone just want to talk about the markets and the, the virus and social welfare and all that kind of stuff again? I, I really don't mind either way, to be honest. Well, I do have like a counter question regarding um, unemployment benefits. Um, yeah, okay, sure. Go ahead. So, um, I just really, really resist to uh, not explain how Belgium is handling, but I guess now I gave in. So uh, over here we actually have a legal framework, kind of a weird, and that is a, um, uh, a framework called uh, technical unemployment. Technical unemployment is basically when your uh, when your whole um, when your whole industry, or in this case, the whole economy, early and basically or rather fired they can make you technically redundant and then when you're technically redundant you kind of get these benefits like 70 wage but i actually forgot to look up or it was yeah so so it's kind of like a so it's kind of like a it's not a hard sort of on off switch of unemployment it's like a gradual like the the less employed you are the um you know the the more benefits you get, right? 
Um, yeah. So it's kind of like a gradient, which I think is probably a really good idea. And look, that tends to be what most com- uh, most uh, countries do. Um, and, and that is certainly the case in Australia, that they'll support you up to a certain amount of income. Once you earn over a certain amount of income, they say, okay, you're, you're rich enough to kind of do your thing. Um, go and go and get it, you know. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's probably very similar to a lot of other countries. And I think that's probably the right solution. Um, but you know, a lot of people are just sort of straight up losing their jobs. And also, you know, uh, a lot of people, no matter how sort of unemployed they are, it's, it is still better to go totally on unemployment rather than, than take any kind of, of income because, you know, it's pretty generous at the moment. Wow, everyone laughed at my when everyone supports my me on uh, Patreon. Uh, yeah, sad. And you know what's funny? There's more laughy faces than there are actual patrons on the server at the moment. Oh, rough, man. <laughs> I'm trying my best, dude. Nah, Come on. Nah. I'm joking. Look, honestly, like uh, for those of you who do that, it's really, really appreciated. For for those of you that can't or, or don't, that's no hard feelings at all. Or you could just, uh, you know, you could try to work on getting more YouTube views. Yeah, that kind of helps. Yeah. You don't think I haven't tried that, man? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why he does the country videos, dude. Come ah, on. so that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. I've been trying to get less views. <laughs> I want the video on Spain. Yeah, the country videos do uh, do do quite well. Like, I mean, I know you guys lament yeah. them, but uh, you know, I still try and teach you guys something in it and amongst them. Um, you know, I still try Wait. and give some kind of economics lesson e- in amongst it. If if it's e- not country you videos, uh, you've already, you've already done a Spain one. No, yeah. I have not done Spain. Yeah, I've seen it. Besides country, but, but, but besides country videos, you could also do videos based on like you know actual companies like, like like big companies that that often attracts a lot of a lot of you know traffic yeah uh, I'll pop, cnbc I'll pop... cnbc does that a lot yeah yeah i'll have to i mean i'll probably potentially be stepping on other people's toes but uh yeah i don't really mind uh, yeah yeah i mean i'll probably do one of the like, I mean, economics of apple there's next. nothing wrong with, ha- with there's nothing wrong with more youtubers making videos on, on companies the, the more the better i mean like the more people understand how these companies run the you know, per- perhaps there's an off chance that people will be more confident in investing in the companies. You know, it's win-win. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So I will do a, a video on Spain in the immediate future, but I feel like I've done a lot of European countries recently, with Greece and Italy. But uh, the Italian video was like my most successful video ever, I think, in terms of like views within the first week. So. Yeah. Hmm. Spain has a lot of corruption. Uh... Every all countries have corruption. What's new? Yeah, but Spain uh, even more. <laughs> uh, last week they found that the king had like uh, 100 million euros in a Swiss account that he got from building a railway for Saudi Arabia. Hey, was a king? Let him, let him, let him be a king, eh? <laughs> uh, fucking kings. Yeah, man, those those kings. I think actually the country videos are great. I think the only video that I thought was a total train wreck was Brexit, simply because all the institutions got mixed up. But that's also because there are like tons of institutions. And if you're not European, you're probably not hearing about them. Alright, uh, EE, um, Abhe, Abhe, how do you say it? Abhe. Abhe, 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 
uh, Abhe. Abhe. Uh, yeah, yeah. See, see, I'm not the only one that gets your name wrong. Uh, as, uh, will we see companies creating sovereign wealth funds for themselves to prepare for disasters like this? Yeah, I well, mean, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll change um, the, the thing. It's, you know, where they can't actually create their own sovereign wealth funds, but something akin to it. Yeah, so um, there's um, something that you need to understand the difference between a sovereign wealth fund and just a government that has a budget surplus. Um, so, you know, a surplus of funds and normally that's sort of just deposited with, with an institution. Now, uh, sovereign wealth funds are normally set aside um, because of some source of revenue. Most notably, it's normally because of oil, right? Uh, they have no, this... he's, asking, he's asking about uh, com companies, like individual companies creating something akin to their own sovereign wealth funds. Oh, like, companies, not countries. Yeah. Right, 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 companies. right. Yeah, um, and so... I wanted to hear your take on it before I say anything. That would just be a savings portfolio within a company. Yep. Um, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be a sovereign wealth fund. A sovereign wealth fund is for a sovereign country. It would just be like a, basically a savings account or an investment portfolio for for um, companies. And look, some companies do have this. They have like a big buffer of, of assets or, or cash and stuff like that. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, famously, uh, you know, the company that that was founded by Warren Buffett or at least run by Warren Buffett as a huge investment sort of corporation, has a lot of cash at the moment. Uh, and he sort of said, well, I don't have anything good to invest in. I kind of see unstable times ahead. So I'm going to just keep more and more and more cash. Uh, it's probably paying off for him right now, I'd imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a very sensible sort of decision. And maybe in the immediate future, companies will probably be a little bit more conservative and keep a little bit more cash on hand to get them through rough old times. But I think eventually they'll probably fall back into the same old traps that, hey, we can either keep this cash around here and potentially, um, you know, weather a storm that may or may not come in the future, or we can pay and deliver huge investment returns right now and, and get ourselves some nice big fat bonuses. Eh, yep. you know, for a lot of yep. senior executives, it's not a hard decision to make. Yeah. Do I pay myself or do I, uh, am I in favor of the long term? Or the uh, longevity of the company, uh, you know, yeah. the self, the self, uh, you know, rational actor kind of <laughs> prioritizes themselves over the uh, the needs of these shareholders who they've never met and probably never will meet, for all the individual um, minor shareholders. Yeah. Um, Ian, I sent you a PM about what I told you of the King of Spain. Check okay. it out if you got some time. Oh, I have to go through all of my PMs on Discord. Uh, for those of you watching on the YouTube live stream, I pretty much, well, I, I mean, occasionally I'll try. Like, if, if I get a ping while I'm actually online, I'll potentially look at it. But hang on, look look at this. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty rough. So, like, if I don't respond to you, it's not because I don't like you uh, or because I'm being a douche. It's just because I get too many. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of keep up with everyone. You know what would be really interesting? Oh, darn. Now I just part with suggestions. But, uh, well, that is um, how do economics work for um, pharmacy? Because right now, for example, I find it rather fascinating how many companies are working with either a vaccine or something to reduce the symptoms or that might help in healing from, um, from COVID-19. And because, I mean, that, that's a huge risk that it might not pay off. Just happened in the past. Yeah, or well, someone beat you, you to seen, it. Have you not seen a company is trying to experiment with, like, you know, for example, remember 3D TVs were a thing? Yeah, that that pretty that flopped pretty hard. It, it's 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 normal for for innovation to, you know, not all ideas will will you know come to fruition. Like, 
there, there has to be, you know, companies just need to try and 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 they're and they're used to failing. So you know, that that's that, that's that's what that's what led to you know better the, the the better technology that we have now. Yeah, that's exactly right. They have to realize that, of course, it's an investment. It has risk. You know, if it pays off, fantastic. Um, but it's ultimately it's you know it's basically taking a gamble on the fact that you will be the person that develops the vaccine first or or develops a vaccine that's very efficient or or cheap or easily you know producible uh and that's sort of ultimately the risk that you you might take and hey you know potentially a few companies might get it there might be a company that produces it first but it's it's very expensive and hard to produce and there might be a company that can produce it a little bit more cheap and then there might be a company that comes along and and can make a vaccine that's easy to mass produce um, so you know, yeah. all of those will do and well. And there's and there's also the opportunity costs. So yeah, uh, so, somebody see that like grants might help with that, and I do agree with that. I think that um, Bill Gates and uh, what Bill and Melinda fund, as well as some countries including Belgium, Norway, Australia, the UK, and a whole bunch of other countries, also set up a fund for these kind of occasions to give some. But it's still very much like a make or break thing. Um, for example, in case of Ebola, there was a company, the whole Ebola crisis, be over. Yeah, or, I suppose. Uh, I suppose one advantage that um, you know these these, com these companies have over um, you know companies that were potentially producing a, an Ebola vaccine or, or a cure for Ebola is that, as, as terrible as it sounds to say, uh, it's infecting rich countries now. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Right now, the WHO is sending a whole bunch of people to African countries regarding COVID-19, including Eswatini, a country where one-third, maybe now it's only one when people die, of the population have AIDS. And then there's some, a whole bunch of WHO people there worried about COVID-19. And, you know, when, when I read this, what's up? I was kind of, in my head, I was kind of thinking it's because the Western countries are afraid of COVID-19, not because the uh, citizens of uh, Eswatini, the Swazis, it's not because they are afraid of COVID. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's still important. Like, ultimately, it can be a hotbed for uh, mutation and development, and especially in a country with, with poor sanitation. It, it's still important to try and reduce it as much as possible. Uh, last thing a country like that needs is another sort of hit in the, hit in the groin. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is true. It's one of those things where it kind of sounds a little bit silly in, in practice, right? Um, but, look, uh, that's all I have time for tonight, guys. I have to go to bed. It's 2 a.m. Um, so feel free to continue the discussion as always. Thanks for all the fantastic questions, and I will see you guys all on Thursday. Well, good night. Cheers, guys. Yeah, Bye. Good night. Thanks for the video. It was good. Good night.